3: Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Educational
0: Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org.
2: Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, November 8th. I'm Ezra Wall, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Guns in God's House, Find out why some churches are stocking up on ammunition and ramping up security.
4: We
1: don't get concerned about protecting ourselves until there have been X number of incidents. Well, there have been X number of incidents now.
2: Then find out how increasing education on nutrition and food labels could help health outcomes for Mississippians. And hear what's in store as the state's two new museums prepare to showcase history and culture to visitors from near and far. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some Mississippi churches are taking action to protect their congregations from active shooters. This after an increase in church shootings across the South. Nine people were killed in 2015 at a church in South Carolina. Most recently, a rampage in Texas claimed the lives of some 26 people. The threat of violence has resulted in an increase in concern among church leaders and lawmakers. Last year, state legislators passed the Mississippi Church Protection Act. It gives churches the authority to create armed security teams. If a violent attack occurs, they're immune from prosecution in the event someone is killed. Democratic Representative Tom Miles of Forrest is an author of the bill. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser more about the measure.
5: The Church Protection Act that we passed uh, last year was a bill that the legislator came up with in Jackson as a response to the shootings in Charleston. And then we saw the shooting in Antioch uh, about a month or so ago, and then last sunday which was you know this past week we saw the same thing again here in texas Uh, i was invited to come out to watch some of the training and the classroom work with this protection class here for the church last saturday firsthand and then seeing firsthand and getting educated about how this is a great thing for our churches to have to protect themselves if they do that then this tragedy happens you know it's just a sad world that we live in to think that people are just so sick and evil to do things like this but this is just an another option for um, you know, churches if they want to put this protection and security team in place to help with peace of mind and heaven forbid maybe it can be used as a deterrent, you know, that some of these people they start thinking that, you know, there's church security teams in place. They may think twice of, of doing something like that because they may realize that uh their own life may be in jeopardy instead of innocent lives being in jeopardy. But we just hope and pray that no more of these tragedies ever happen. This course that's offered here at Precision Shooting Range here in Forest is an is a excellent course to, to train the church security teams to... Um, into place because you could see the way they're focused on safety because when you are dealing with the guns it's it's not a toy you know that that you want to make sure that you have the safety there as well.
6: Did you ever think that you'd have to confront this issue again or was it just just in case?
5: You know it's a safety precaution and it's really sad that we're living this kind of world today that we even have to think about stuff like this but that was the reason we did do that to be proactive about it because if it can happen in Antioch, Tennessee, which is right outside of Memphis, if it can happen in Charleston, South Carolina, if it can happen in a small town in uh, Sutherland, Texas, it could happen right here in Forest, Mississippi, or any of our small towns across the state of Mississippi, and uh, you know, we just hope that it never happens again.
6: What does it do? Does it give them protections if they do have to? fire a weapon and kill somebody inside well, of a to, church?
5: To begin with the way the legislation was written that the churches they have to actually come up with a security team and put it in place they have to put it in their church minutes or in the church bylaws, and they have to be trained, and they have to have the concealed carry permit to have it. And there is an immunity clause, and they're similar toward the council doctrine. If something were to happen, that if they were to have to defend themselves or defend uh, fellow churchgoers, that they would be immune.
6: Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time.
5: Thank you. Thank you. appreciate for all that you do.
2: Representative Tom Miles spoke with our Desiree Frazier at a shooting center in Forest. The range is run by firearms instructor Clyde Morgan. Morgan says they're fielding calls from churches seeking to set up security teams.
1: We've been hearing from churches for about uh, half a year now and working with them for a little more than six months. I'm not surprised by what's happening. In fact, I've been expecting it. We're normal creatures. If there's an intersection, we don't put a traffic light there until we've had X number of accidents, perhaps even fatalities. So we don't get concerned about protecting ourselves until there have been X number of incidents. Well, there have been X number of incidents now.
2: Morgan says church shootings, including Sunday's rampage in Texas, are changing how some people feel about concealed guns in houses of worship. Caleb Crosby is a deacon at a Baptist church in Scott County. He tells our Desiree Frazier they're being proactive. We are
4: a local church in Scott County. You know, it seems like every few months I look around and there's a congregation somewhere who's had some sort of tragedy happen. There was the South Carolina deal, and now we're looking at this mess in Texas. And I can't help but think that it is my responsibility as a deacon, as a member of our church, as a free man to protect the people in our congregation.
6: When you thought about doing this, was there any conflict in you because of making that shift from feeling comfortable in church and not feeling like you have to be on guard to thinking about someone walking in with a weapon?
4: I accepted the unfortunate reality that we live in a sick world a long time ago. I accepted the unfortunate reality that a bad person can take advantage of people in a gun-free zone or anywhere else for that matter. Now, I, I pray to God that I'm never put in a situation where I'm forced to stop a man by taking his life. So, no, there's no hesitation or conflict in me at all about it. What I like about what Clyde's doing here is he makes it a point to push his students to their fail point to find out what their limitations are so that nobody has any delusions of grandeur about being able to do what they've seen in the movies, because real life doesn't work like that. If you're going to use your firearm, especially in a crowded room, a church building or something like that, you need to know what your limitations are. You need to be able to help the people around you as opposed to be a danger to them.
6: How do you protect the congregation but not make them feel nervous or anxious?
4: Right, I understand. There are people who are not comfortable about around guns, and I can respect that. Not everybody grew up the way I did. Not everybody has the same views about firearms that I do. And I don't want to be offensive to my brother. We make it a point to keep our, our guns concealed. You'd be amazed at the people that you pass in everyday life. You stand in line with them at Walmart. You pass these people every day, but you don't know anything about it. That's the way we try to conduct ourselves. There's no point in putting that gun out there for everybody to see. It should not be exposed unless it's needed.
6: When you heard about what happened in Texas,
4: what was your thought? I mean, my, my heart goes out to those people. I can't imagine what it must be like to have virtually every member of your congregation shot. Half of those people dead. The other half critically wounded. I can't even comprehend that. We live in a sick world, and I believe Christian men have an obligation to defend people that can't defend themselves. Uh, It's my job to get between my family, my church family, to get between them and people that would do them harm. It's not going away. We have to do our part to secure our homes, to secure our families, to secure our churches.
6: Thank you so much for speaking with us.
2: Yes, ma'am. Coming up, find out how increasing education on nutrition and food labels could help health outcomes for Mississippians. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB
1: comes from the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, presenting pianist Conrad Tao this Saturday at Thayamara Hall, including the music of Schumann and the 10th Symphony by Shostakovich. Tickets at msorchestra.com. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall in for Karen Brown. Americans are consuming food information from more sources than ever before, yet nutritional literacy is sorely lacking and individual health may be suffering as a result. That's according to findings in the International Food Information Council Foundation's 12th Annual Food and Health Survey. They say nearly 80% of people report getting conflicting advice about foods to eat or avoid. More than half say the confusion makes them doubt their own food choices. As part of our continuing coverage series, The State of Obesity, we spoke with nutrition experts asking how nutritional literacy translates to health outcomes in Mississippians. Alex Lewins-Wordling is Vice President of Research at IFIC. She tells MPB's Desiree Fraser more education could lead to better health in Mississippi.
7: This study really can shed light on how people are purchasing foods and why they're purchasing foods. So it can help inform our programming, messaging, nutrition education strategies, and really understand where the gaps are in making it easier for consumers to shop and eat healthfully.
6: Now, your study essentially says that Americans lack the knowledge to make informed decisions about what they eat and it's affecting their health. How is this happening?
7: Individuals might not see themselves as having poor health. In fact, our results show that 59% of consumers describe their own health as very good or excellent. And so it's possible that individuals don't see that their health warrants increased knowledge of nutrition or healthy eating. Chronic disease and other nutrition-related health issues might seem distant or not real to younger generations. We also know that there's a difference between what a consumer thinks of as healthy versus what is nutritious according to the Nutrition Facts panel. Consumers consider factors like natural, organic, non-GMO when making purchasing decisions. And in their mind, these types of factors can contribute to a product's healthfulness even with identical nutrition information. So we call this the health halo, and it surrounds factors like fresh versus canned and frozen as well.
6: When we see foods and the labeling says all natural, fat-free, those are signals to the shopper that this is good for you. Right. So one of the
7: findings from this year's survey is just how many Americans actually doubt the choices that they're making. So we found that eight in 10 find conflicting information about what foods to eat or avoid, and that as a result, over half doubt the food choices that they're making. We also know that this in part comes from who consumers are turning to for advice. So we found in this year's study that healthcare professionals are the most trusted source of information, yet consumers by and large are turning to friends and family for advice. And so it's not totally surprising then that they're receiving conflicting information about what to eat, what's healthy, and the diet choices that they make.
6: So what is nutritional literacy and how do we get there?
7: If we're basing our decisions on perceived healthfulness rather than nutrition, we might actually be opting for foods that we think are benefiting us but actually eating less of the good stuff as a result. So we have our work cut out for us in terms of educating consumers around what constitutes nutritious food, healthy eating, healthy diet. So if consumers believe that fresh is more nutritious than canned or frozen and as a result think that canned vegetables is not a suitable alternative, that we share our knowledge that it's nutritionally identical And canned or frozen sometimes is more affordable, or if you're cooking for one single serves is a better option. And so to find ways to make it easier to eat more healthfully is
8: important.
6: What does the survey say about Mississippians? So
7: we didn't do a state-by-state analysis. We do know that in Mississippi, it's among the highest rates of obese population. And so Mississippi, in particular, has a lot of work cut out for them in terms of improving health outcomes and health status. It's the highest rate of diabetes among all states, and one-third of adults are obese, and of that number, 43% of African-American adults are obese. So there are a lot of health-related complications in Mississippi that warrant additional nutrition education.
6: What's also interesting is that people say they want to lose weight more than they want to be healthy,
7: A lot of this could be what individuals see as front and center in their lives. We know that as people age, weight loss dips a little bit in their priority in terms of what they're seeking from foods and health benefits. And we believe that that's largely because weight is immediate. If someone's younger and thinks about heart health, it might seem too distant, too vague, not front and center, and not immediately priority. As people age, factors like cardiovascular health become even
6: more important. Alex Lewin-Zwartling from the International Food Information Council. We appreciate the survey and your time. Thank you so much.
2: The new survey also finds losing weight is what Americans want most from foods, yet less than half can name a food that helps them lose weight. More than twice as many Americans say weight loss is what they want most from food compared to cardiovascular health and energy. Lydia West is president-elect of the Mississippi Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. She tells us some of the confusion comes from poor labeling.
8: There are a lot of words that describe the food that we have in America. Some of them are um, regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. So terms like low-fat and low-sodium, light, have an actual definition from the Food and Drug Administration. The term natural and the term healthy don't have a defined term. And so often that's mislabeled on a lot of products. And it's hard for the general consumer to understand that a product may be a little less healthy than they they think it is. Natural
0: maybe does not mean healthy. Natural right. does not equal healthy. Exactly.
8: Yeah. So it's just it's whatever the company wants it to be. Or sugar
0: free doesn't equal low that, calorie or
8: Oh that's a great one. Yeah. Sugar free does have a definition, but there could be calories coming from other items in that in that food, not just the sugar.
0: What about healthy food? Can people assume if they go to a farmer's market, say, that they will get healthy food.
8: Farmers markets are a great place to get local produce usually. It's usually grown within the area. If not, then the seller will know where it came from. And it's usually seasonal when products don't have to travel very far. And when it's in season, it has a much higher nutritional value, meaning it has many more vitamins and minerals and then other items called phytochemicals and antioxidants. And so when a food is fresher, it is higher in nutritional value.
0: Can you buy something that's canned or frozen that's also nutritious?
8: One of the great things about canned and frozen products is they're picked at the height of season and then processed almost immediately. When foods that are to be frozen are picked, it's when they're the most ripe because they want it to be processed very well. And then it's flash frozen. So it locks in many of those nutritional See, See, I think that
0: people might think the processing procedure takes the minerals and vitamins out of that product.
8: Yeah. And, in fact, sometimes they have higher nutritional value because it was. One thing I do caution my patients and clients on is some of our frozen products do have a sauce or it may um, have a little bit of butter and sugar included in those. So I still encourage people to look at the nutrition label on the back and see what the sodium content is. What about is those look steamer
0: bags, though? They look pretty good. They do.
8: And, but sometimes those are the trickiest ones. It will have beautiful labels on it. But it actually will have a sauce that may help it cook up a little bit different. So please flip over even the the microwave bags.
0: Is sodium
8: also added to canned or frozen vegetables? There are, but more and more companies are starting to offer low sodium and no sodium options that are out there. As Let's well. talk
0: about vegetables and fruits. Are they all healthy? What are people <laughs> eating? What's the most popular vegetable that people sure. are
8: eating? The United States Department of Agriculture (USDA) does studies all the time and what they found is Americans really love potatoes and they really love vegetables exactly. right exactly <laughs> and it can be healthy as long as we don't add too much sauce or fry it or things like that there's many delicious ways to eat potatoes other than deep fat frying them tomatoes are also a very popular vegetable in the United States for fruits we love kind of the ABCs we like um, the apples and bananas and we also really like oranges as well All fruits have some carbohydrates in it, and some of our vegetables are considered starchy vegetables. Those would be things like beans and peas and carrots and uh, potatoes. But all fruits do have carbohydrates in it.
0: Less than half of people could identify a food as a nutritious food with benefits.
8: People want to eat healthy things, but they can't exactly say what each item has that makes it healthy. Which or leads healthy. me
0: to this: What are they looking for on the label that would help indicate whether it's nutritious or
8: not? I, I think that looking for items that have very few ingredients in that ingredient list on the back. More and more companies are putting—they're called the tombstones—at the bottom. It's a little half circle that's the calories and a half circle that's some of the vitamins and fat.
0: Lydia West is the president elect of the Mississippi Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Lydia, thank you so much for coming in.
8: Karen, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
2: Lydia West with our Karen Brown. Coming up, find out what's in store as the state's two new museums prepare to showcase history and culture to visitors from near and far. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of
1: Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Why is diet important in diabetes? It's important for people to treat their diabetes so they will keep their blood sugar at nearer normal levels and prevent long-term problems that are associated with poor diabetes control, things like heart and kidney problems. Diet is important because it's part of diabetes treatment. Changing your diet can also help treat obesity, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol. So how will you change your diet? A good place to start is the Southern Remedy Healthy Living Booklet that's online at mpbonline.org. It will help you work with your doctor or nurse to make a food plan to change your diet. Our bodies break down the food we eat into small components called carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Carbohydrates are actually sugars that our body uses for energy and raise a person's blood sugar. People with diabetes have to understand the importance and meaning of calories, fiber, cholesterol, salt, and alcohol. For instance, having more than one drink for a woman or two drinks for a man a day can raise blood sugar levels. Also, drinks that have fruit juice or soda in them may also raise blood sugar. Most adults with diabetes need to lose weight. To help lose weight, try to exercise for 30 minutes a day most days of the week. Some people with diabetes need to change their medicine dose before they exercise, so check with your health provider. Eating fewer calories is the secret to losing weight. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the MyBlue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall. Mississippi's past and present will be on display for all the world to see in just over a month. That's when the two Mississippi museums will open on December 9th as part of the Bicentennial Celebration. MPB's Ashley Norwood gives us a preview.
3: Twenty-two thousand artifacts are housed in two hundred thousand square feet at the Museum of Mississippi History and the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum in downtown Jackson. Rachel Myers is the director of the Museum of Mississippi History. The theme of the history museum is One Mississippi, Many Stories. Myers says it covers the entirety of the state's history.
8: Walking through, starting at you know thirteen thousand years of Mississippi history and learning about the Native American experience and Native American removal and the territorial period and um, slavery and sharecropping and Jim Crow, that helped to inform um, your experience in the Civil Rights Museum.
3: The Mississippi Legislature provided $90 million to build the two museums. Construction began in 2013. The museums are in the final stages of completion. Pamela Jr. is the director of the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. The theme of the Civil Rights Museum is, we all have a light. It focuses on the years 1945 to 1976.
6: 180,000 people are to come through here, and we're looking forward to be an educational tool to teach our children, talk about citizenship, to talk about how do we come forward and understand each other's culture, because if we get that, then we understand ourselves better.
3: Both museums open on December 9th. Tickets for the opening weekend are already sold out. Ashley Norwood, MPB News.
2: Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101, at 10, Everyday Tech, and at 11, it's Southern Remedy. And we'll be back tomorrow at 8.30 for another Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio.